So we understand that the teachings of Paul uh, were under attack in the first century, but how are they under attack today? So that is one of the questions we're going to answer today. My name is Peter Finch, and this is Beyond the Notes. Most of us are familiar with the the children's song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone in the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And although most of us have, if we grew up in church uh, or in Sunday school, we learned that song. But surprisingly today, it's very difficult for even modern Christianity to sing that and really mean it. Saying the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E. And yet, so often we see that either modern science or just human experience wants to redefine what the Bible says about certain matters, specifically about the teachings we find in the Pauline letters, the letters that Paul himself wrote. And as we discussed this past Lord's Day about these false teachers in the church in Corinth questioning and casting doubt upon Paul's teachings about the will of God and the word of God, so today, the same thing happens. I mean, think about it. I'm going to list just a couple or, or a few of these, of the doctrines or the teachings that Paul that we see in Pauline epistles and think about how these are attacked today. For example, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Does everybody readily agree with that? The doctrine of, of penal substitution, which means that the penalty that is due us for the transgressions of our sins was paid by a substitute, mainly Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul talks about this in several of his epistles. For example, 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Also, Romans 4.25, that talking about Jesus, our Lord, he says, who was delivered up for the trespasses, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 5.6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And in Galatians 1.4, says the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Over and over again, Paul talks about Christ being our substitute for the transgressions of our sins. And yet today, that is another doctrine that is readily attacked, even among Christian circles. How about the deity of Jesus Christ? We mentioned in this past Lord's Day in the service how there are so many different options, if you, if you like, uh, of who Jesus is. And yet Paul, and not only Paul, but here we're talking today about Paul, Pauline epistles, but Paul specifically mentions how Jesus Christ is God, just as God the Father is God and God the Holy Spirit is God. And yet it is constantly attacked. How about the doctrine of the Trinity? There are many, quote unquote, Christian uh, groups that would deny the Trinity. How about the doctrine of election or, or the doctrine of eternal punishment? How about even Christian life matters, these teachings of Paul about the will of God in terms of premarital and extramarital relationships, or or, or the roles of, of husbands and wives in a marriage? How about the teachings of divorce and remarriage? Some people don't even want to touch that. 
How about issues like homosexuality? or the purpose of suffering. There, and the list continues and goes on and on about all these teachings that Paul gives us about the will of God for our lives, about the word of God and who Christ is, what the Bible teaches, what Christian life looks like. And yet they're under attack. So what, what should our response be? How do we, in, in the marketplace of ideas, when these issues and teachings and doctrines are being attacked, how should we then respond. What should our, as believers, attitude be toward the word of God? Well, first, I think we need to remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And many of us know these verses that say that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to realize in first place that the Bible is inspired. It is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. And it is meant for our teaching to teach us what the Bible says, what God wants for us. It is meant to, to reprove us, to show us when we are in error. And then it is meant to, to correct us, to get us back on the path where we should go and to guide us in all righteousness. And it says the purpose of God's will, the purpose of God's word is that every man and woman of God, every child of God would be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Peter also, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that also whenever the prophets, the people who God chose to write these scriptures were inspired by God, it was not of human um, interpretation. For example, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this. Say, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So even Peter here is saying that no part of Scripture was ever invented by human ingenuity, by human imagination, by a human mind but that God's Holy Spirit himself guided along these human authors so they would write what God's perfect and complete will is for our lives. And we must embrace the fact that this word is inspired by God. It is guided in, in, by the Holy Spirit. And in Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word, um, he writes this. Let me read this for you. He says, Tradition, traditionally, Protestant theologians have highlighted four essential characteristics of Scripture. Sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. He says you can recall them by the handy acronym SCAN. And each of them is meant to protect an important truth about the Bible. So first, sufficiency. The Scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. We don't need any new revelation from heaven. We often hear today among Christian circles how, well, I received a word from the Lord, or let me, let me tell you what God told me about you, or I had a dream, or, or this is what God is telling me. And, and there's all these other searches for a new word from the Lord, a new revelation. The Bible is sufficient. It is all we need. And, and on a personal note, if I, if I understand a couple things about the word of God and have yet to obey them, why am I looking for something else? But this is, this is all that we need. The Bible is sufficient. 
but not only the sufficiency of the word of God, but also the clarity. And this says that the saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in the scriptures and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. We don't need an official magisterium to tell us what the Bible means. It means that if you know very, very little about God, about the Bible, about Christianity, about salvation, by a simple reading of God's word, an ignorant person can be saved. There is clarity in this word. But at the, on the same, at the same token, we can spend years and years and years studying the depths of the riches of God's glory through his word and never even come close to exhausting it. There is clarity here. We do not need um, some religious leader to teach us what the Bible says and to interpret it for us as if we could not understand it on our own. The word of God is clear. It is sufficient, it is clear, and it is authoritative. So the last word always goes to the word of God. We must never allow the teachings of science, of human experience, or of church councils to take precedence over scripture. And that means this, I need to base my experiences off the word of God and not the other way around. So often we'll say, well, yes, I know, I know what the Bible says, but this, this is my experience or this, this is what happened to me. And we try to, to take what God's words already clearly says and plainly says and try to reinterpret it according to our experiences. Or we often see this with, with the scientists. Well, yes, I, I know the Bible said that, but science has now affirmed that, you know, fill in the blank. But the word of God is authoritative. There, there is authority here. This is the final word of God. We need to be very careful to not allow our opinions, our desires, our feelings, our experiences to try to interpret the word of God, but rather through the lens of God's holy word, interpret our experiences. So you know what, th this doesn't make sense, but if God's word says this, then how can I look at my experience in a different way? Because there's authority in God's word, but also necessity. So we have sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. Uh, general revelation is not enough to save us. We cannot know God by means of personal experience and human reason. We need God's word to tell us how to live, who Christ is, and how to be saved. That's why Jesus is the only way to heaven, to the Father, to salvation. Every human being has some kind of innate knowledge that there is, a, there is something beyond our lives. There, there is something out there. There is, a, there is a greater being. And that's why we have so many religions of people searching to figure out who that is. And, and as sincere as many people are in their search for God, they end up searching in the wrong place and they are sincerely wrong because the Bible is necessary for salvation. You cannot be saved apart from the knowledge that is acquired about who God is and who we are and who Jesus Christ is and how we can be saved outside of the word of God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, let me sort of wrap up with this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we have a list of, of the mighty, mighty men 
who joined David and his, and his army. And, and even in verse 22, it says, from, from day to day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army, like an army of God. Said so as as David, when David became king and people just flocked to join his army because they wanted to be a part of what God was doing through this new King David. And it goes on to list several of them from, which, from different tribes. And an interesting verse in verse 32. So this is First Chronicles 12, 32. And it says of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Again, this is for Israel primarily. But think about that. Men of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I pray that we would be like these men of Issachar, that we would know the times in which we are living, that we would know what we ought to do. And what we ought to do is found right here in God's word. And when you and I take time to read God's word, to study it, with a desire to apply it to our lives, we are running against the, 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 the current of this current society. But this is, what the Bible, this is what the church needs. It needs people, men and women, who will take time to read God's word with an eye to understand it and to put it in practice and to obey it. That means that you and I must take time to meditate on God's word Take time to commit it to memory. When was the last time that you memorized a verse? When was the last time you memorized an actual whole paragraph of God's word or even, even a chapter? Do you know enough verses to be able to say, yes, this is what God's word says about this topic because, uh, I, because of time that I have spent in God's word, I have, I have thought about this and meditated on it and, and, and I know what it says. Do we know the times and do we know God's word of how to respond to people in these times? I pray that as you and I grow in our Christian walk, I pray that as we take seriously the exhortation to grow in biblical discernment, that we would know how to handle God's word and be quick to detect error when we see it and to defend gospel truth. And I invite you to come back this next Lord's Day on Sunday as we continue talking about how we, just as the church in Corinth, can be ready to take a stand against error and defend God's truth. And that starts with you and me reading our word, being quick to obey it in every circumstance. Well, thank you again for joining me this week. And we wait for you next time as we continue on Beyond the Nuts.